0: Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Mark Shaw. We've done, done a number of shows in the past, but today we're going to talk about a book. I think it's timely. It's a 30-year anniversary of the rape trial for Mike Tyson. And the title of the book that he wrote right around that time, published 1993, is Down for the Count, The Shocking Truth Behind the Mike Tyson Rape Trial. I think it's a very important book. I think it's uh, just for true crime, people interested in true crime, but also lawyers. I think as an attorney, he goes into a very detailed account step-by-step about how this event took place, all the facts, all the details, all the lawyers, the prosecution, the defense, and it shows people how how much variance there is in in, in a criminal trial and how many things can go wrong, how they can go right in some senses, but This is one where I think the defense did a lot of wrong, but he can talk more about that. But I would also recommend people go check out our other interviews. We did one on a number of his other books. I think he's at 12 books at this point. Fighting for Justice, The Improbable Journey to Exposing Cover-Ups About the JFK Assassination and the Deaths of Marilyn Monroe and Dorothy Kilgallen. That was published in 2022. Then we talked about an, uh, an announcement that he had where his book got optioned. That was 2021. We also did another one that was Collateral Damage, The Mysterious Deaths of Marilyn Monroe and Dorothy Kilgallen and the Ties That Bind Them to Robert Kennedy and the JFK Assassination. So that was published in 2021. But uh, you can go back and listen to those and get a full list of his, the books that he's written. But again, author is Mark Shaw. We're going to talk about this book, uh, 30 years now published. Down for the Count, The Shocking Truth Behind the Mike Tyson Rape Trial. So Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, William. Thank you. Awesome. So for people who may not have heard of our earlier uh, discussions, we talked, I know you've covered some stuff in your bio. Can you kind of talk about your background? I know that you have a legal background, but you were also right there when this whole situation happened and how you kind of progressed into writing this book.
1: Yeah, I've had an amazing life because so much of what's happened to me, I could have never predicted at all. You know, Just to go back a little bit, I had never tried a criminal case when I was appointed as a a public defender, right out of law school, and Friday I was appointed. And the next Monday morning, I tried a first-degree murder case, so I got my feet wet in the courtroom. I was a criminal defense lawyer for several years, uh, mostly all high-profile murder cases in the Midwest. Tried one with the the uh, famous E. Lee Bailey, and so on and so forth. And then, um, you know, I left the legal profession, moved to Colorado, and uh, my my life has been pulled, filled with uh, celebrity trials. And uh, you, you mentioned the, the whole situation with Dorothy Kilgallen and Meryl Monroe and the JFK assassination. I could use my investigative instincts, instincts there. I really learned, to, uh, learned how to write by talking to juries when I was a criminal defense lawyer. But I moved to Aspen, Colorado at the same time. Now, some of your older audience may remember this because it was the first celebrity trial that I, that I handled and where I was there. Uh, I ended up working for Good Morning America and covering the Claudine Langer case. That was the French actress and singer who was married to Andy Williams. And uh, in 1976 or 7, she was charged with killing her boyfriend, a famous skier named Spider Savage. Uh, she said she did it accidentally. Uh, in that situation, by the way, because of what you said about how uh, lawyers uh, are important part of these celebrity trials, in that case, the prosecution uh, was really inept in far, in far as what they did. First of all, they they made mistakes getting warrants that could have proven that Cla- Lange intended to kill Savage. So that was the first one that I I handled. I got my feet wet with it, and then um, I, I after a number of years uh, I ended up being back in Indiana in 1991 or so, and uh, I had practiced criminal defense lawyer that as a uh, practiced as a criminal defense lawyer as I said. And uh, to set the stage um, at that particular point, Mike Tyson was a former heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, He was on top of the world. He was uh, one of the best known. He was called the baddest man on the planet, you may remember. And knocking out this person and that person, this fighter and that fighter. I mean, he was on top of the world. Uh, He had every woman in the world who wanted to get involved with him. He was rich. He was everything. And unfortunately, though, a perfect storm was waiting for him, or an imperfect storm, if you want to call it that, in Indianapolis, Indiana. And the reason I say that is because when, I think the date is uh, July 17th, 1991, when his life changed forever. And uh, he came into Indianapolis, and one of the reasons I gave up practicing law in Indianapolis was because of the racial situation there, the racial imbalance, a lot of the racial tones and so on and so forth. I noticed that in my trials. Um, very conservative, even, even as conservative uh, as it is today, uh, unfortunately, I guess, Indiana. And so here's uh, African-American black uh, champion of the world, Mike Tyson, coming there. And he was coming there, uh, William, for the 1991 Miss Black America pageant. And uh, he came into the airport. He was going to do some signings at the pageant and everything. And as I wrote for you, I covered then the trial, as we'll talk about, for USA Today, ABC and ESPN. And uh, it was interesting because uh, as I started to look into what happened, uh, I found out that he went to a um, kind of a pageant preliminary where they were having singing, dancing, taking videos and things like that. And as I wrote, um, when Tyson entered the rehearsal hall at the Omni Hotel on July 18th, the contestant immediately surrounded him. They asked him to sing a a rap song, song for a video. And he, he came in contact with an 18-year-old beauty from Coventry, Rhode Island, named Desiree Washington. Now, Tyson was 25 at the time. She was 18. And we won't go into all of the details, but basically every girl, they were in swimsuits. She was. All of these were com- women were coming up to uh, to Tyson. Later on, he would say that with each one of them, he made his intentions clear. I want to have sex with you. And some of them would shy away, and some of them would give him, his, give him, him her telephone number. He told him where he was staying and so on and so forth. And so when he got to Desiree, Washington, he said the same thing. And what happened then is on that particular night, although uh, at the trial, we never did really learn exactly what happened in this hotel room, but he invited her up there. And uh, a limousine picked her up and took her to this hotel room. So we'll get into a minute what the evidence was at trial, but I think you would be interested in who the players were. Because in each celebrity trials, uh, the players are the most important. And I'm talking about the players being the judge, the criminal defense lawyer, the prosecutor, and the jury. Now, when I was back there, I got interested perhaps because I enjoyed uh, covering the Claudine Langer case. I, I, I wrote the judge, Pat Gifford who was a prosecutor when I was a defense lawyer. We went up against each other. Uh, we were combatants, but we were, we were uh, you know, we respected each other. And I wrote her a little note and said, hey, I'm back in Indiana. I'd like to cover the uh, Tyson case. And I've been asked to by USA Today and, and CNN and ABC. Will you do that? And she said, yes. And more than that, Mark, you've been involved in the media because I had done, done some television work by then with the networks. I want you to uh, handle the media. So I became the media coordinator, and of course, as media coordinator, I gave myself the best seat in the courtroom, which was right near the railing um, connecting the spectators with the courtroom. So who did we have involved in the case? And as you'll see, this was a perfect storm for Mike Tyson to end up being convicted. First was the prosecutor, Pat Gifford. Now, I did respect her, but she was a former rape prosecutor. And unfortunately, the defense attorneys, as we will talk about, never asked for he to, her to be recused, to set down, to step down. She should have. Um, she had, um, you know, obviously a prosecutorial type of a judge. So she w- that's who the judge was. Then you went to the prosecutor. Well, Jeffrey Modisette was the uh, Marion County prosecutor, but he'd never tried many cases. So he brought in this flamboyant uh, attorney, um, kind of a gunslinger named... Uh, Um, uh, Harrison. And uh, Harrison didn't have much respect in the legal community when I was practicing there, and he certainly didn't have any at that time, but he wanted to make a name for himself. So anytime that happens with a prosecutor, you know that the the defendant is going to have a tough time because most of the time those prosecutors are not really interested in the truth. What he wants is a conviction um, to get his reputation in good shape, and in fact that's just what happened, and he ended up uh, becoming a judge and so on and so forth. Defense lawyer. Okay, here's where all the mistakes were made. As I said on ESPN, Tyson uh, picked the wrong defense lawyer and the, law, the defense lawyer uh, picked the wrong defense. Right, well, on,
0: actually, hold on just for a sec. Tyson didn't actually pick his own defense lawyer, right? He was I still I under the sway have. of I Don King, right? Have. Yeah.
1: He could have done a much better job. Don King was the uh, big time. Repo- uh, Big time uh, promoter for Tyson's uh, fights and many others. He was a Washington D.C. attorney, mostly who worked in the criminal courts. He was a tax lawyer uh, um, expert, and uh, Don King had a had a tax violation against him, an indictment, and Vincent Fuller, the lawyer, was able to get a not guilty verdict for uh, for uh, for uh, for uh, uh, Don King. King. So Don King decides in his own mind, well, if he could handle a, a tax case for me, he ought to be able to have a, ha, handle a rape trial. Well, if that sounds ludicrous to, to you and to your, your listeners and viewers, it is because you have to be a specialist involved with rape cases for so many reasons that I, I can't even get into them. Obviously, how you handle the defense, you've got to be careful with the defendant, a woman and so on and so forth that way. So, there's so uh, many subtleties.
0: You have to get an attorney for the right problem that you have, much like you need the right doctor for a problem. You do not get a brain surgeon if your foot is broken. They got the exactly, right guy. Exactly. Especially they knew Tyson was super wealthy, and this guy yeah. charged 500 bucks an hour, so there's a financial incentive for him to take this case, even though he knows he's not a, a specialist. Enough.
1: Well, yeah, he won the publicity yeah. too, you see. And, and unfortunately, uh, Don King picked him, and you don't do these celebrity trials. You get in trouble a lot of times when you bring in a celebrity lawyer. Uh, in this case, he, he came from from Washington, D.C. Nobody in Indianapolis knew him. The jurors certainly wouldn't have any idea who he was. And and there are other cases, William Kennedy Smith, the uh, the rape trial of, of William Kennedy Smith in Florida. They brought in uh, uh, a guy named Black, Roy Black, as the attorney. He was pretty famous, but he was famous in Florida. So everybody knew him. In the OJ case, for instance, they picked, uh, you know, uh, F. Bailey to be one of them, Johnny Cochran. Bailey was from someplace uh, outside of L.A., but they had Johnny Cochran who was from L.A. In this situation, and and in Claudine Langer's case, they brought in uh, a defense lawyer from Denver. It really makes a difference because you want defense lawyers and prosecutors to bond with the jury. And in this case, uh, Vincent Fuller, who had a very cold demeanor in the courtroom, uh three piece suit, you know, short hair, white, uh, just, you know, somebody was very cold in the way that he handled things that way and never bonded with the jury. So that's, 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 that's the, that's the players here. And then we'll yeah, get but to, there's, the another,
0: there's another component too, Mark, and that is James Voiles was a local attorney they hired, but they elbowed him out. This is classic lawyer stuff where they don't use this guy for whatever reason, personal ego or money. That they should have used that guy, right? They should have had that guy as a stand up
1: Well, you know, so many people have written about the the, down, uh, the Tyson case and the other cases, and Marilyn and Dorothy and all these other cases. But what what they forget is, you know, that that I was there, and so I saw what was going on. There was a good reason why they didn't let Jim Voiles do much at trial. He was not a trial lawyer. I knew Jim Voiles very well. He wasn't even a very good fixer, but that was what he did. He was afraid to try criminal cases. And when you're a defense lawyer, that's the last thing you want to happen. have happened. When I started, I let the, the prosecutors know I was ready to go to bat. I was ready to go to trial. And what that means then is that they are going to say to themselves, hey, uh, we, we probably better p- plea bargain some of these cases. So Jim Voiles was a fixer. I didn't have a lot of respect for him. And so they didn't let him get involved. And that took away the link with the jury, you see. So a lot of people wouldn't have known that Uh, I had an advantage again, because I had tried cases in in, uh, Marion County and knew that uh, uh, Voiles was not gonna be a a person who was gonna be really involved in the trial phase of that. So the the trial was already, uh, the first mistake that Vince Fuller made was letting Mike Tyson appear before a grand jury. (laughs) Just made no sense whatsoever. Mike Tyson, his education, as you know, was lacking. He wasn't a very good public speaker. You know, he was a fighter, for God's sakes, a boxer, uh, a roughhouser in the ring, all of that. And and yet um, Fuller thought he could get the case dismissed at the grand jury level. He didn't have a chance in the world of doing that. But what happened? Tyson was then on the record and he made a statement at the grand jury that will come back to change the entire trial and convict Mike Tyson. And we'll talk about that. So we get into the trial. What's the next mistake that Fuller makes? he gets up in front of the jury, if you can imagine this, and he says to him, here's the defense that we're going we're gonna to do. Here's the problem with, uh, with the accuser. Here's this. Here's that. And you will hear from Mike Tyson. That's the mistake of a first grade, I mean, a first year law student. You never tell a jury that your client is going to testify. Now, he or she may do that, but you may not want to put, on, put him on the witness stand if the, if the evidence is not strong enough, and it wasn't strong enough in this case. But now he's promised the jury that Tyson is going to testify. And, and that was the first big mistake that he made because that should have never happened. So then we get into the trial itself, and uh, you said, basically, uh, what happened? You, everybody wants to know what happened in that hotel room. We still don't know because in in during the trial uh, uh, until Tyson testified and gave some of the facts, when the accuser testified, Desiree Washington, uh, the prosecutor kind of danced around with her what happened, and yes, I went up to the hotel room with him, and i I just wanted to see what he was like, and he was you know very kind to me at the at the um, uh, at the, at the pageant and so on and so forth, and then when we got in here he he just changed he he, uh, he was the kind of guy who just uh, sat down on the bed and, and uh, first, next thing I knew he was taking off his clothes and all the details kind of what happened. But then what you want to have happen because it wasn't that strong in terms of what she said and there are a lot of leeway for cross-examination. It's the worst cross-examination I've ever seen in my life except for the ones by uh, Patricia Clark and, and, and Darden in the OJ case. And What, what did, uh, you know, Fuller was almost kind of embarrassed. You, you, you can't be embarrassed when you're cross-examining the maid witness, the accuser of Tyson who could have gone to prison for 60 years, and yet he never got into the facts of the case and what Tyson did and what she did and things like this. And so we never really got, uh, I talked to some of the jurors afterward, they really never knew exactly what happened in the courtroom, but there was enough circumstantial evidence uh, that they ended up convicting him. So that happened during the trial. Then you get to the final arguments. And I think you're going to be taken as a back as your viewers or listeners will be by the final argument, the defense strategy. Here's what they told, here's what Fuller told the jury, okay? Mike Tyson is the baddest man on the planet. He's violent, he's he's terrible. Uh, he's, he's one of the worst people that have ever lived. And she should have known better than to go up to the hotel room. That's the defense. And I could see the the jurors faces. I might've been 25 feet from them. When he said that they looked at, look at him like what? And, and so what ended up happening is unfortunately when they got back to deliberate the case um, that that was in their mind. And then one of the things that the prosecutor said in rebuttal convicted Mike Tyson at the grand jury, they asked Mike Tyson exactly what he said to Desiree Washington at the pageant. And he said, I want to F you. When he said those words, it was almost like I looked at the juries and here's what their head looked like. It jerked back. Here was a man that many of them admired, came from poor uh, a background, arose to become heavyweight champion of the world, all of that, you know? And now here's the, the words coming out of his mouth. It wasn't anybody saying that he said that, uh, William, it was him saying that. You can imagine the impact that that had, right? Right. So we get to the final argument and and everything, and then uh, uh, the jury ends up deliberating. Uh, Pat Gifford, again, uh, kind of uh, in my opinion with the jury instructions favored the prosecution. And uh, they came back with a verdict and I was in the courtroom uh, probably ten feet from Tyson he was sitting at the table uh there and when that first guilty uh, guilty word came out of Pat Gifford's uh mind i or, uh, pat work, pat Gifford's mouth tyson tyson went like this and just slumped over Here was a man who had risen to be a heavyweight champion of the world, and now he was a convicted rapist uh uh, possibly going to prison for 60 years. I mean, it was just, there was there, a pin didn't drop in the courtroom. And all the other journalists there from the New York Times and Washington Post and around the world, I think there were about 300 of them, looked at me like I looked at them like this is one of the biggest miscarriages of justice ever. Now, there were some who thought, yeah, you know, um, the verdict is correct, but man, oh man, it was terrible. And, and I want to mention one more thing before we get to what happened after the trial and what I found out and uh, exposed uh, that could have, should have uh, gotten uh, Tyson a new trial. Uh, at, at the t- exact moment that the verdict of guilty was rendered, out of the back row, ran uh, ran out of the courtroom uh, going, yeah, like that. It was Alan Dershowitz, who Don King has hired as the appellate a lawyer for Tyson. He made a big fuss so everybody would see him. Such a sleazy guy. I mean, just all you have to think about is that he was a good friend of Jeffrey Epstein's for one thing. But uh, uh, Dershowitz was a big mouth. He wasn't a great lawyer. He wasn't a great appellate lawyer for sure. And he raced over to the state house and and filed the appeal for Tyson. It, 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 Tyson didn't have a chance. I appeared before the the Supreme Court with regard to some of the things that I found out and. And watch the proceedings, and and Dershowitz just made a fool of himself. So not only did Tyson have one terrible lawyer, he ended up having two. wow, incredible.
0: Right. So, but there was like the the facts of the things. It was there was no allegation of some force. There was something. There was a a, a medical doctor said there was indicative, like trauma to the woman or the victim uh but he asked her to come back to his hotel and she agreed to get into the limo and to go up to the hotel and he didn't force her clothes off
1: right not at all do you know why she came- went up to the hotel room no why I... she wanted she thought Mike Tyson wanted to marry her right
0: so th- these these don't make sense we talked in the pre show we know i mean i've been around if somebody invites a woman to their hotel room it's not to uh, well, especially, especially my Maybe type. she's naive. Yeah,
1: come on. But here's the kicker. We don't want to forget this. After the trial, I talked to some of the jurors, and uh, they told me, you know, what had happened, and, that you know, it was very close in terms of convicting him and everything. So then a little time goes by, and it's it's uh, some of the uh, reporters and I, all of us, looked more into this, and we found out that Desiree Washington... Uh, had already uh, hired a, a media lawyer, an entertainment lawyer to look into book and television rights with regard to her story. Now that was was hidden from the defense lawyers. They ask about that in pretrial hearings, and I, it may have been even been asked of her in the courtroom, and she denied all of that. And the prosecutors denied it. And it was there's no question that it was a grounds for a retrial. I talked to two of the jurors. And they are they are mentioned in the book. And both of them said, "If we had known that that her motive for for doing this was to make a lot of money based on a book or a, a screenplay or whatever it might be, we would have never voted for conviction." That was part of the appellate brief to the uh, Indiana Supreme Court. But uh, in case you're you, you don't uh, you probably know this, and maybe your listeners and viewers uh, don't, but. Um, Uh, Supreme Courts or even appellate courts are very reluctant to ever overturn a jury verdict. They believe the jury heard the evidence. Now, in this case, they didn't hear all the evidence, but they're very reluctant to overturn the case. Plus, again, you had this racial overtone in Indianapolis, even with the the Supreme Court, and his appeal was turned down. There, There is a good side to this case, and I just want to mention it very carefully. When Tyson went to prison, he got 10 years uh, and then he finally, I think six of them were suspended, supposed to spend four years. He only spent part of that uh, in a prison near Indianapolis. And I thought his life is over. He'll get out. He'll get into drugs. He'll become, you know, alcoholic, whatever it may be that way. And a couple, uh, maybe a, a, six months to a year after that, he kind of fell into that trap. But he really turned his life around. And Tyson uh, ended up, he's done movies, he's done television. He has a cannabis corporation that's worth millions of dollars now. He really did turn his life around. He got married, lives over in Arizona. And so that's the good side to this story. But he should never have been convicted of rape.
0: I agree with you. I think that there was a lot of problems there. And she turned out to be like, there was more information after the, the first trial ended. There were
1: appeals, but
0: you have all the affidavits in your book that show some that she was not this was not her first kind of rodeo right
1: well no and and again uh i think i think you go back to the first mistake of of the criminal defense attorney uh mike tyson that he wasn't responsible for that but if you watch that cross-examination you know i had i had trouble with that case like i did with a Kobe bryant case that i'll mention in just a minute I was sitting there in the courtroom. I'm a former criminal defense lawyer. I, I had, I think, probably 95% uh, uh, rate of, of acquittal. I wanted to get up and scream, ask her this question, ask her that question. Come on, come on, come on! And other lawyers who were covering the case uh, said the same thing. But you're you're just you 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 can't do that. And and we all knew that he was just uh, you know he was being railroaded into prison. It was the same situation when I covered the Kobe Bryant uh, rape allegation in Colorado. Uh, during a preliminary hearing, uh, they were going through the accuser's evidence, and her name was supposed to be kept secret, and uh, Kobe Bryant was sitting over there like he dressed like he was going to the beach. He never thought this was that big a deal. The evidence was very strong against him, and then all at once, the defense lawyer for him um, mentioned her name. And I wanted to stand up as the other lawyers who were covering the case wanted to and, and, and scream. And, and, and the judge never did anything about it, didn't admonish the defense lawyer. He said the woman's name again. And that was the end of the case against Kobe Bryant because she was so embarrassed. Her name got out. She was, you know, chastised for going after, you know, Kobe Bryant, the, the big basketball player and all this other kind of thing. And finally, she almost disappeared from view and they settled the case. Kobe Bryant, uh, every time I hear about his exploits as a, a basketball player, I want to throw up. He should have gone to prison for this. No question about it. I've been criticized for that, and I don't care. But what so happens the is difference? you get these the lawyers, difference? you know, and, and that was the prosecution's fault in that case, defense lawyers in this. Right.
0: So what's the difference between the fact pattern of Tyson and Bryant? Because it's also the same thing where some, a woman goes into the guy's hotel room
1: uh-huh. right uh, No, it was in the it was in the uh, lobby of a hotel room well yes ho- they were at the hotel so then went to went to his room but i'll tell you what the, the difference was there was no evidence in court really that convicted uh, mike tyson uh, coming from from the the accused uh, he 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 convicted himself by ba- by what he said to the grand jury and and when he testified he was a terrible witness when he testified in the in the Kobe Bryant case, a lot of uh, defense lawyers and prosecutors criticized her account of what happened, and there were some holes in it, William. But many times, um, I think those cases are stronger than one once where it's just pat, where you know this 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 and happened this happened, um, and in case in, in this particular case, uh, the woman. Uh, yeah, I, I thought she was very, very believable. There were some of the things that were kind of out of sync or whatever. But I felt like the case against Bryant was very strong and I knew he and his lawyers did too. That's, that's the proof here, you see. That's why uh, this lawyer in, in Denver, a woman, uh, I will always uh, have no respect for her. She should have been disbarred for what she did. But the reason she did it is because she knew that Kobe Bryant could not go to trial. If he would have gone to trial, he would have been convicted. Wow,
0: interesting. Right, so uh, Mike Tyson spends three years in jail, comes back out of it, but there's still more things even after he's convicted. And there was a hung jury, right? Six-six uh, at one point, isn't that right? Wasn't there So,
1: some- Yeah, I think so. There was another mistake that was made. Uh, and it reminds me of the Patty Hearst case and I had some real, uh, you know, knowledge of it. I wasn't at that trial, but I had some real knowledge of it because I tried a case with F. Lee Bailey and Bailey was, involved Patty Hearst was her defense lawyer. And in that particular case, uh, Lee Bailey, uh, in fact, I tried the case right after he tried Patty Hearst's case and lost and she was convicted. He made a mistake in that case. Jury selection is really, really important. And in that particular case, uh, Bailey, who was uh, in the military, um, decided that that there was a a, a potential juror who was in the Air Force. And he thought that this uh, particular he and this uh, Air Force uh, colonel really bonded and that she he was going to look at this case uh, based on the facts and everything. And he was going to be the one who would acquit uh, Patty Hearst. Uh, If there was a hung jury, he could do something with that and all of that. Well, he was dead solid wrong. And the reason he was wrong, and he admitted it to me when I met him uh, during the case I tried with him, uh, the reason he was wrong is because you do not want anybody who is very, very strong as one of the jurors. Somebody like that, who's well-respected, you know, in the military, whatever it may be that way, you don't want them because what happens? You're either gonna win win or lose the case based on that particular juror. And in this particular case, Uh, Right away, I found out, and so did he. They got in the jury room and he said, hey, listen, we can sit here for a month, a year, whatever it is, she's guilty as hell. And from that point, the other jurors fell in line, all right? With Tyson's case, uh, Vincent Fuller made the same sort of mistake. This guy was in the military, juror number nine, I remember him, and I thought, don't let this guy stay on the jury. And the same thing happened in the Tyson case, as I found out later, that when uh, when the, the jury started deliberating, he's the one who said, "Hey, listen, you know, uh, guys, uh, Tyson is this, he's that, everything else, and it's this poor girl and everything else like that." And Tyson was doomed. Wow! So he and uh, it went
0: through the appeals, right? Didn't it go all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court had, like have to recuse himself over something? Like it was one of those things where Dershowitz pulled up fast one, like he did on the Epstein case where he like had a personal communication with the Supreme court. head. do you remember anything like that? Well, it was the
1: state, it was the state Supreme court, certainly Sorry, no, no, not, not the United States Supreme I, court. I'm state. there, was, there was some conjecture about that, but I don't, I don't believe in it. It's been too long ago. I'd have to look at okay. my notes and things, but there was some conjecture about all of that, but I knew most everybody that was on that Supreme court. And, uh, I just knew that, uh, First of all, they, they didn't like him. I don't know if you've ever seen D- Alan Dershowitz in action, but he's a nasty guy and he's, he's very rude. He is so arrogant, uh, just as, as Fuller was. And, and that's not what you want uh, with regard to uh, trying to get an appeal. Uh, but in this situation, I still think that they, uh, it's very, very difficult. I'd have to look at the percentages, William, but uh, don't get yourself in trouble, OK. Because if you, if you end up at a trial and you're convicted by a jury, uh, the percentage of cases that are reversed are very very slim, uh, and 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 you know the acquittal is it, it, normally the conviction stays.
0: And this took place in a bunch of very highly charged cases, right? Rodney King, William Kennedy Smith, Anita Hill, right? So, yeah, a lot and, of, and the, Rodney definitely had heavily racially charged. Up.
1: Yeah. And, and the one that's most interesting, William Kennedy Smith, a member of the Kennedy family, I, I forget who, who who he was what. But anyway, that case was tried in Florida. He supposedly it was a young girl. I think it was in a car. He raped her and everything. Uh, the big the big um, uh, connection to Tyson's case, unfortunately, is that uh, William Kennedy Smith was acquitted. So that was on the jury's mind. And then there was all of the. Um, you know, all of the accusations in the press, and this was a miscarriage of justice, and William Kennedy Smith got away with it because he's a celebrity and a Kennedy and all of that. So that's in a lot of the jurors' mind. Then you have Anita Hill accusing Clarence Thomas, and, you know, I don't want to get into politics and and all of that, but one of the worst Supreme Court judges who's ever sat on the bench, and now we're finding out new information about him. There's no question that Anita Hill was telling the truth but that's not you know that's it was the situation there with regard to her um you know her uh testimony that she had and they believed uh Clarence Thomas they didn't believe her now you could say to yourselves well maybe that uh ended up um uh, you know uh, you know being a, a minus in terms of the Tyson case but that was right then and then you had kind of a uh you know kind of a, a at that particular time you know uh, you know, the whole situation with re- regard to rape trials. There were a number of them going across the country and the uh, the conviction rate was way high at the time. But I think it was more the atmosphere of this case uh, in lieu of the other ones. And then also the racial situation in, in Indianapolis, black guy into a white community. I think there were three jurors or so that were black. Um, I, I, it just was a combination of things that ended up convicting Tyson.
0: Right. And I mean, it was kind of like how everything can go wrong, like just so many factors moving against a guy who was not as sophisticated and still under the spell of King. I think he finally kind of elbowed himself away from Don King, but uh, yeah, just another in- negative influence. I mean, I don't think Don King is considered to be uh,
1: very helpful to his boxers. as Well, well what, you, what you want to happen in these trials is you want the truth to come out. Um, the truth about Marilyn Monroe's death, she never committed suicide. Dorothy Kilgallen didn't commit suicide. That's the famous journalist in the uh, 1960s that I've written four or five books about. Uh, She didn't overdose on drugs at all. Uh, You you want in the Epstein situation, you want the truth, but supposedly he committed suicide. Yeah, right. Sure he did. He had so many powerful uh, friends and all the things he could have said. All of these cases, the O.J. Simpson case was just a disaster in terms of of our ever knowing what happened there. And that's the problem with the Mike Tyson case. We really don't know. I can't stand here and say, sit here and say that he was innocent of these charges, but he should not have been uh, convicted based on the lack of evidence that they, based on the evidence that they had. And especially, you just have to think about the situation there. I mean, um, Greg Garrison and and Barb Treyfin, his assistant, they knew that she, wanted to make money off of this through uh, a book and television and movies and things like that, hid that from the defendant. It cost him his freedom. Uh, I have blasted him every chance I can because basically, you know, you're taking away this man's freedom. It didn't matter all the other things that he had done, and he hadn't really been a good boy in some cases. But as far as the evidence in this particular case, he should never have gone to prison for it.
0: Do you know if she actually Desiree Washington did make money? I'm not aware
1: if she did. Did she? Was she able to
0: sell her story
1: or get back? I'm not completely sure, but I'm I, I'm not I don't believe she did. I think she moved back to the East Coast. She tried to um, you know kind of dissolve into the into the world without anything else. Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that question, and I don't spe- speculate as you know in my books. People will have to look that up. I can't remember. I don't remember a Desiree Washington uh, book. Do you, or or a film, or no. anything?
0: No, I do not offhand. I, I
1: but she also made
0: a rape uh, uh, allegation too. Wasn't that in your book? That she had also. Wasn't there an affidavit where she had accused somebody else of that? There was oh, an, accusation,
1: yeah, again, an accusation, but again, again, so much filled filled with speculation in that particular case. Uh, you know. It, it's it's sad because uh, I, I I really think that probably her her life after the Tyson case she was always going to be known, you know, as as the woman uh, who who convicted uh, got Mike Tyson convicted, and in the black community she was black as well that probably didn't go over too well with an awful lot of people so she had that you know that reputation unfortunately um, and and that that happens happens with all celebrity trials uh, unfortunately. I'll mention this, and, and I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but a lot of what will happen with the former president of the United States' trial on these cases, on this case in, in New York City is going to have to do with the lawyers, the, the defense lawyer, the prosecution, it's going to have to do with the judge. And it right now, you can't tell what the atmosphere is going to be um, when, that, when that trial is held, if it is, but a lot of that uh, plays uh, to what the decision will be by a jury because an awful lot of times, it's not so much the facts that, uh, that, that are presented. It's, it's all of the other events going around and everything. It shouldn't be that way, really. It should be based on the facts uh, and everything, but uh, that particular case will be interesting. It'll be interesting in terms of the former president if he testifies, it'll be interested in the witnesses, how they testify, but there'll be an awful lot more about that case uh, than, than, than that you'll never hear about, unfortunately, or the jury may never hear about as well. And that's unfortunate.
0: Yeah. So this, the uh, saga of celebrity trials will never end in, in the United States. If we just have a new one, this was one of them, right? I mean, wasn't it just recorded? You said there were 300 journalists and all that. Oh stuff. yeah. Oh yeah. And it was that's like a, biggest a, news
1: in Indianapolis, right? Exactly. At the JFK assassinate, Jack Ruby trial, there were 400 from around the country, including uh, Tyson. Tyson or including uh, Dorothy Kilgallen. You know, uh, one thing that's interesting I've noticed about the former president's trial come up, coming, uh, coming up, the lawyers that he's got um, look to me like really blue-collar lawyers and things like that. But again, they'll be diving into the reputations of these guys and who they've defended and everything else. You, you see, jurors, uh, you know, many times, uh, you know, in a celebrity trial, they're a celebrity juror, okay? And they want to do the right thing, because here's what I always used to say. Uh, When you're picking juries, the jurors, remember, when this case is over, and I think this was why I was so successful. I always look for jurors that that when they went back into the community, they were going to be they were going to have to defend their verdict. And I wanted to say to myself, how is this particular jury juror going to defend finding my client not guilty? Or how are they going to defend themselves uh, as to as to why they voted for guilty? And so I tried to look into them. I, I used my gut, my hunches. I didn't use tri, uh, jury experts, but I tried to say to myself, I'm going to look at the background of these people, and I want them to be able to go back into the into the uh, into the uh, community and say, Hey, listen, I convicted Mike Tyson because, or I acquitted Mike Tyson because, or whatever, you know, in all of the cases that I tried, that's really important for a defense lawyer to do because um, they're, they're going to be uh, contacted by the media. They're going to be contacted by their friends, their family, everything. And if you don't believe uh, that jurors uh, look at the newspapers, even though they, they say they're not supposed to, that they wa- don't watch television and everything, well, come on. They, they are in the limelight. Everybody, as I tell my wife, wants to be important in life. And if you were a juror for the Mike Tyson case, there'll always be that situation where somebody says, hey, you know, Jim over there? Yeah, yeah, I know him. He coaches the baseball team. You know, he was a juror for the Mike Tyson case. <laughs> so right. they, they become as big a celebrity as as those that are on trial.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And then they do all the rounds on the media.
1: People oh, want to interview nice them, stuff.
0: all that stuff, right? Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. So. And with social media today, man. Wow. Uh, they're interviewed the moment they step out of that courtroom. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, no, it's really something else. They really are a different type of trial. It's a whole different animal. These celebrity trials, very different. It, it um, is, yeah. And you need well, somebody are, that's
1: familiar with that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we are at the forty-five minute mark. Is there anything you'd like to add? Anything I missed?
1: I don't think so. Thanks for for uh, yeah Thanks, thanks for talk about it. I mean, You were there.
0: Yeah. But you also are kind of uh, have new projects and you have some things on the horizon, right?
1: Well, yes. And, um, you know, it's interesting because uh, I've, I've covered, you know written a lot of books now and especially about the JFK assassination and the uh, and the uh, deaths of Meryl Monroe and JFK. And, and I've written about most of the, the cases we've talked about. But, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if you want me to mention the, the, the podcast situation. Do yeah, you? go ahead. Yeah. You know uh, for years people have said mark why don't you have a podcast and i said well i've written seven books in six years (laughs) i really don't have time to do a podcast but uh, a friend of mine named william ramsey and i've talked about this and uh, it looks like that now i'm gonna i'm gonna leap into the podcast uh, area with true crime uh, talk about some of these cases talk about cases where i was there i think that's uh, my credential that I was a, a former criminal defense lawyer, that I'm an attorney in California now and and capable of looking into these cases like others are not because uh, experts write about them and authors write about them. But in most of these situations, I was there or I can use the investigative skills of Dorothy Kilgallen that I've I've written about and, and know about. So hopefully I'll be able to uh, do some more of this kind of analyzing like I used to do on the networks uh, and, and I like, I want to do it because I want people like we've done today, and I so appreciate you letting me do this, understand the, the criminal justice system better, and especially how these celebrity trials uh, uh, out, uh, unfold and, and whether there was justice or injustice that happened.
0: Right. And so you're titling it Mark Shaw Investigate. So people can find that and you'll start to put up episodes pretty soon. With, soon within the next month. This will probably might even be on there as well.
1: But people, well, people look uh, out for The person that. I most respect in the podcast area has an, uh, a podcast called William Ramsey Investigates. So, uh, unless he sues me, I'm going to call my <laughs> Mark <Job> Shaw <laughs> Investigates. Oh,
0: no, <laughs> I'm not going to see you. But you also, how's the thing on the documentary front? Is there any, any new updates or anything?
1: Well, there is. Uh, right now, uh, a, a very uh, a man who I respect a great deal as a writer, a screenwriter in LA, and I are working on a script for a it could, could, could be a film, but probably a, a series for television. Uh, nice. We've got a lot of interest in it, and, and there's some producers that are interested in in uh, going forward. But, uh, uh, yes, uh, we're working on that. I, I I give him the research, and then he's – a screenplay is a different animal uh, than than a book, a lot different. And exactly. so uh, his name is Gary Caskill, and he's working on the screenplay now uh, based on all of my research, and we hope to have a screenplay by probably uh, the middle of May sometime.
0: Oh, congratulations. That's great. I was talking about the Mark Wahlberg option to your collateral yes. damage. Is there any updates yes. on that or is that kind of?
1: Well, know, uh, yeah, the there's an update on it. You know, it's it's interesting. Um, I feel like I'm known as a man of the truth. Uh, my my books, uh, I don't speculate. I do my research. Uh, just like today, I've tried to, to stick to the truth. Well, uh, that doesn't happen in Hollywood. Uh, I had the uh, book, uh, the, the Reporter Who Knew Too Much, the bestseller about Dorothy Kilgallen, optioned by a production company down there in about 2018, 17, 18, or something like that. Uh, Mark, we're going to consult with you about the, uh, uh, the content you have in the, in the book, your research about Dorothy, and so on and so forth. We're going to make a film out of this. We'll put a script together, and then we'll get together with you and see what you think. They never showed me the script. Finally, I dumped them. I, I got out of that agreement. With Mark Wahlberg's company, the same thing in another way happened. Uh, They they, uh, went ahead and and optioned the uh, media rights to collateral damage, the first book that ever connected the deaths of Marilyn Monroe, uh, JFK and Dorothy Kilgallen, uh, and so on and so forth, Warren Commission, all of that. So I made a deal with them. They optioned it. And Mark, we're going to go ahead. We're going to put some things together, uh, and we're going to pitch this to the networks and so on and so forth. And you have the right to cons- consultation with this. We'll show you what we're going to send out and so on and so forth. So they did show me what they were going to send out. And I really objected to what they were doing. For instance, they were going to include in there uh, the death uh, the, the death of uh, Bobby Kennedy. Uh, Dorothy di- uh, Marilyn died in 62, JFK 63, Dorothy 65, Robert Kennedy uh, 1968. So they were going to put that in the materials for the uh for the uh the television series i said you can't do that that's not in collateral damage i did not investigate that case well you know we feel like we we, we need to have that in there i said don't do it so they went ahead and did that and uh, again i i really objected to all of that they weren't successful uh in getting any sort of a network deal and i fired them oh, so sorry. i'm old for two and i decided this time william i'm going to control the text, the content, whatever's gonna be uh, in, a, a, uh, in, a, in a screenplay uh, for either a television series or a film. And I have that uh, approval right with this particular screenwriter. And I will also, once, once we get the screenplay and I've approved it, I will also demand with any deal that we make that I have approval of the final product. You don't have to make up anything about the Dorothy Kilgallen, Marilyn Monroe, JFK, deaths. All the all the truth is out there, and I believe I'm the closest person to have ever gotten uh, that truth. So um, I hope that this time uh, I'm going to be able to uh, do the justice to uh, Dorothy, Marilyn, and JFK that should be done on the big or small screen. And if I can't get that right, then I'm going to take this material and I'm going to find independent financing for it or put it uh, or do something with it in a documentary or whatever happens that way because I've been bitten twice and I decided my wife and I were not going to be bitten a third time.
0: Oh, congrats. I think you're taking the right steps. Do it yourself. The The, the research is legitimate. So you should oh, have you success thanks getting thanks it out to the public without somebody absolutely. else tampering.
1: Hollywood yeah. is a different animal. I'll tell you. It is. It is. And it's like
0: the danger is not, is this kind of privishing, not getting published. Not getting people
1: to move forward
0: on your stuff—that all uh, oh, that happens too. Yeah, so absolutely, happens. absolutely.
1: And That's I do look forward showing. to talk, talking to you further. I, I, as you know, I bought one of your books, and I want to talk to you about your book where I can interview you about it.
0: Great, anytime, anytime. We can talk <laughs> about that. There's updates, things going on, but uh, yeah, I'd be happy to talk to you anytime. And uh, I'm glad you're up and running. We'll get the streaming thing down, and do your podcast will be up and running. And I, I will advertise it here, so people who are listening look out for. Mark Shaw investigates, and this book was Down for the Count, The Shocking Truth Behind the Mike Tyson Rape Trial, published 1993. Important book right on site. You were there, saw everything, and it's a really great overview of how a court case uh, plays out, also how people get it wrong, and unfortunately, he ended up in, with three years in jail. Probably shouldn't have, so
1: Mark Shaw, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, William.
0: All right, take care.